ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Hello, Brooke Nigel with you. Welcome to The Country Hour. I'll be with you for the next few weeks, so thank you very much for your company. Coming up, rain. It seems we've been talking a lot about heavy and quick downpours, and it happened again over the weekend across many parts of the state and also into far west New South Wales. Yeah, no, we, we ended up with uh, 65 mils here at the house, um, but next door on Ticalina had 100, so we ended up with a lot of their water, um, which we saw the creek flow which sort of basically cuts us off from the rest of the world for a little while. Um, But, yeah, it was the biggest creek we've seen in in about 25 years. Don't think they're complaining, though, about being stuck out there, that's for sure. I want to hear from you. How much rain did you get over the weekend? You can send me a text on 0467 922891. We'll check in on that rain very shortly. But... First today, a piece of technology that's been helping farmers in the battle with weeds is now heading overseas. The Seed Terminator was designed and built here in South Australia, but the company has now built a new design specifically for northern hemisphere conditions. It will be added to combine harvesters overseas manufactured by New Holland. I spoke with Seed Terminator co-founder and executive director Mark Ashenden about how much they've had to alter the original design as it heads overseas. Basically completely different. Where we've had a uh, multi-stage hammer mill device for C-Terminator 1, as we call it, it was brilliant for Australian conditions. And uh, as, as we know in Australia, once it, um, the harvest is ripe, it gets drier, whereas that doesn't happen in the Northern Hemisphere. So about four years ago, um, we sat down with the engineers of uh, Case and New Holland, and they wanted to um, have a harvest weed seed device and we need to make sure that it's suitable for northern hemisphere conditions because they're quite simply heavier, greener and wetter. So what, how is it different to what you might be seeing here in, with, in Australia with the seed terminator? Well the seed terminator, um, probably best people to have a look at it on there, um, we've actually, it's a, a barrel configuration and um, it's um, completely operated from the cab and it allows the same seed termination, um, but it's a completely different um, and fresh look at it to make sure that it can basically cope with the volume and the uh, conditions of Northern Hemisphere, whereas so the Seed Terminator 1 is a simple, basic design with a multi-stage hammer mill, and the new Seed Terminator 2 is a, a barrel design, and it incorporates inside the harvester. So there's the two major differences. One, it's not a retrofit. It might be available as one in, in time. Critically, it's actually a natural part of the harvest. And as you mentioned there, it's not necessarily that the, the crops are different, um, it's just that the conditions are different that they're, they're coming into. Absolutely. That's, that's the key. I mean, wheat, grain, canola, everything is, um, you know, we're all growing the same thing to feed the world. But um, the conditions of, you know, the soil types, the moisture, the, the, um, the volume is so significantly stronger and, and more than we've got in Australia. How did this come about with uh, with New Holland? A series of coincidences, and um, they were on the on, on the hunt for a, um, a harvest weed seed, and so they did their due diligence across the globe, 
and um, uh, modestly speaking, we are the leader in the technology, and um, so a, a good couple of occasions. And um, we've been started off working with their engineers um, because at the end of the day, uh, we are hosted on a um, you know a million dollar Aussie dollar uh, piece of machinery, which is a, a factory on wheels, and um, we work very hard at all over the last four and a half years with their engineering team first to say, can this fit? as a natural part of the harvest. And um, so we've been working with the states in Europe weekly at engineering level um, over the time to come up with a solution that fits inside. Will these be fitted within the harvesters during assembly or, or are they an, an add-on after market? At the moment, um, they're after market, but um, the seed terminator too and uh, is to be fitted at factory level. So that's the, that's the key and exciting bit that um, it'll become over time, a natural part of the harvester, like um, you know, like the, the combs are out the front and like um, you know, the separation techniques that have been developed over time. So that's the, well, for us, that's a super exciting piece to be a, a fitted at factory level. It's um, an amazing opportunity. Will the units still be built in South Australia or that will all be done overseas? No, no, as long as, um, <laughs> as, long as we can and for as economically and as practically as we can, um, we fully intend to... Um, build them all out of here, out of Australia, um, and uh, in particular, we're, um, uh, we've got a set up with a local, a number of local suppliers to us, and together we want to make sure that we make them as many as we can, for as long as we can, here from Adelaide. When will all that start um, for, for the New Holland uh, uh, deal? Well, it's already started, um, technically, we've got our first batch um, off, to, um, off to Belgium in the, in the new year, and um, it'll be part of their what we call a demonstrator program through Europe in, in before the uh, 24 harvest. I'm speaking with Mark Ashenden from Seed Terminator. Mark, can you just remind us how the Seed Terminator 1 works here in, in Australia? Sure. It's a, um, a simple attachment to the combine harvester that terminates weeds before they become weeds. So as the, um, everything, all the tailings come off the back of the harvester, generally they all just get spread around. So what we do is we intercept them at the back of the harvester and smash the bejesus out of the weed seeds and put them back onto the soil, completely eliminating the weed seeds from germinating and critically turning those um, the natural organic material um, back to the soil. And uh, that's that's what we do. And um, it all came from one of my, well, sometimes favourite nephew, uh, Nick Berry, who did his PhD on how do we terminate weed seeds um, and how many times do we have to hit them and at what speed to devitalise the seeds. So that's where it started off. He did his PhD back in 2012. And we've been sneaking up on this um, solution to help feed, feed the globe better. So, I mean, with this kind of ag technology, and we're seeing it with, with a lot of different ag technology, is, yep. having, is moving away from having to use other products. So I guess for, for, um, with something like this, uh, sprays for farmers, is that something that a lot of people are looking at? Is that environmental impact uh, using something like this? Yeah, we're, we've been uh, tracking and considering the environmental impact and the soil impact. And uh, as an example, for our calculation to date, um, there's been about eight millions of uh, uh, glyphosate which hasn't been done, hasn't been used. So we've saved that. So that's a good farm gate saving. But gee, it's a pretty good um, environmental statement as well as that. Um, if we don't have to put the uh, chemicals on the ground um, and into the crops, it's got to be a good thing. What's been the uptake? like here in, in Australia? Uh, Australia's been exceptional because it is our testing ground and our home ground, so to speak. And what we've done there is we've got about 638 units um, domestically and uh, we've released about 725. There's 
30-odd overseas, mostly in prototype and testing environments, and um, a, a number of the um, original ones that we made have been uh, retired after being a very good prototype. And do you see more opportunities for overseas markets? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's probably, for us, is the exciting thing. We, um, without being too conceited, we think this is a once-in-a-generational um, opportunity, A, to get the manufacturing from Australia and demonstrate that uh, ag tech is as good as, if not better than anybody else in the world. And the reality is, is that most of the market, some 94% of market opportunity is, is offshore. So uh, we can um, be the king of 4% or we can be a, um, a real participant in a global empire. Seed Terminator co-founder and executive director Mark Ashenden. Brooke Nindorf with you on this Monday afternoon. It's 13 minutes past 12. ABC Listen. Keeping bored parents busy is easy with the ABC Listen app. Then we can listen to our stuff. Find our things with Imagine This. Why do we have to sleep? Ask big questions with Short and Carly. They must be fun with getting insulted back. And catch the dinosaur racing with Dino Dino Mike! Listen big to podcasts and audiobooks just for us on the ABC Listen app. Download it now from your app store. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Now, a French shearer facing deportation says Australia needs to look at how it treats foreign shearers' visa requirements. Nicholas Hardy has been shearing in Australia for three years but could be deported by the end of February due to his visa running out. He says he's been told he needs to have been working for the same employer for three years to qualify for a sponsored work visa. But he tells Lucas Forbes that's not workable for a lot of shearers. It's another day of shearing at this shed near Wagga Wagga in southern New South Wales. But for French national Nicholas Hardy, it might be one of the last times he shears in this country. His visa is running out, and while he's applying for a new one, he's not optimistic about his chances. The, the main issue is um, in Australia they're asking you so, to um, have been shearing for three years for the same employer, which is uh, a bit of a, a difficulty because there is no shearer Working full-time for the same employer, we basically always either chasing sheep or chasing the right contractor to work for. And even like traditionally, a shearer travel all around the country to shear a bit everywhere and getting experience and just chasing basically the, the vibes of the shed, we can say that way. Is there any way, anything you can actually do from this point forward to prove to the government that you should stay in this country or, or satisfy any sort of governmental requirements? Is there anything you can do with your remaining time? Um, for for what I hope for is basically um, for the immigration office to have a, a understanding of my specific case because we we are actually in a country uh, pretty much like ten European shearers in the same situation. We came in industry in a distressed time after COVID, when they were at the peak of the shortage of shearers. We learned how to shear. And we went to the shed to back up the shearing industry. But uh, three years later, uh, when we are fully experienced uh, and have a, a well-knowledge about what's going on around, like we, we're running out of um, a visa possibility to stay in the country uh, to become a permanent resident as well. Mr Hardy's current employer, Lachlan Robertson, says the industry has been experiencing a shortage of shearers for years and needs to find ways to retain quality workers, even if they come from overseas. Uh, I just think someone like Nico, who comes to the country, has had a background through a range of different 
careers and, and whatever, and just a highly skilled person, they should have a way for him to stay here. He's contributing to the economy. Um, he's a good person to have in the community, and yeah, someone like that should be able to stay. But it may not be that simple. Shearing Contractors Association of Australia President Jason Letchford says making it easier for foreign shearers to stay in Australia long term could endanger the livelihoods of Australian-born shearers. We need to work on settings where we employ those people somewhere between you know, 42 to 45 weeks of the year, um, not, not the 48 weeks that we work in salary jobs because we've got wet weather and we've got seasonal nature. So, and that, that really needs continuity of work. And what we can't have is settings where the domestic workers don't have that continuity of work. So that, that's the tricky part to, to getting these visas right. Is that your concern, that more secure arrangements for foreign workers, particularly ones that are not from New Zealand, might endanger that continuity of work for Australian shearers? Absolutely. You know, anyone who's not earning at least $2,000 a week really doesn't have a job. But we know from the statistics that only, I think it's less than 10% of our workforce is actually filing tax returns that are showing that they earn more than $100,000 a year. But Mr Hardy says from what he's seen, Australia needs skilled workers in the sheds, no matter where they come from. If you want to keep going uh, the backbone of Australia, which is a shearing industry, we, they need to have a, a long-term policy to welcome the people who are willing to do this hard job. French shearer Nicholas Hardy ending that story from Lucas Forbes. Now, just like here in South Australia, wet and windy conditions have swept through the far west of New South Wales, soaking paddocks and flooding streets. At Bindara Station, 85 kilometres west of Broken Hill, the Parkers welcomed 66 millimetres on Sunday. Sarah Parker says their dams will be filled for the next 18 months and their property next door is also looking good. Andrew Schmidt asked Sarah what rainfall tallies have been like in the lead-up to the latest event. Yeah, not not that great. Um, I mean, sort of 2022, we were looking pretty good and then it just seemed to really dry out a bit. So we sort of had October 2022, I guess, was our best last best rain that we had. And yeah, we sort of haven't had anything since October 2023. <laughs> it's confusing now with the new year. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been a while. It's, um, yeah, pretty much nothing. Um, since October, but then that was only 20 mils, and then I think we ended up with <clears throat> maybe 60 mils in June. Mm. So yeah, it was. It's been dry, really dry. It's been pretty dry. Now, what happened over the weekend? <laughs> well, <laughs> very different weekend this one. Yeah, no, we we ended up with uh, 65 mils here at the house, um, but next door on Ticalina had 100, so we ended up with a lot of their water, um, which we saw the creek flow which sort of basically cuts us off uh, from the rest of the world for a little while. Um, but, yeah, it was the biggest creek we've seen in, in about 25 years. Yeah, it just uh, uh, we sort of sit there, we're going to be very uh, careful, aren't we, when we're looking at these rain systems that are tracking in, the Bureau giving forecast a week out. You tend to get a little bit cynical, but uh, the closer it got and you're looking at that radar, were you thinking, yep, we're going to get some of this? Well, honestly, no. It, it just built up and it just, we sort of, we now have the, the outlook that uh, we'll believe it when we see it. So we, yeah, honestly, we, it wasn't on our radar at all and it wasn't really even showing up. We were sort of watching a bit of the lightning tracker and could see a little bit more of the lightning and where that was. But yeah, it was quite impressive when it came in, that's for sure. I use the term game changer, a bit of a game changer for the Parkers. Yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, no, we'll go into... Uh, a, a nice uh, lambing season. Our ewes were, were still in good nick, 
but they were just starting to lose a bit of condition, so we we're going to have to start making some decisions um, on whether we sort of feed or, or um, you know, just think of something else. But uh, no, they're going to. It'll be it'll be lovely for them. They'll um, yeah have some nice healthy lambs on the ground come April May, I think. And what about your water? What are your dams looking like? Well, good question. <laughs> uh, we can't we can't get out. We're hoping to get over the creek this morning. We'll go down and have a bit of a look to see if we can pass. One that we uh, we do a few water sports on, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, will will be nice and full. And but no, no doubt that pretty much all of them will be will be chock a block. You mentioned the rain falling at the property next door at Ticalina. Those creeks that run in, do they feed into your dams? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, part of their property sort of falls this way, and yeah, and Bullo Creek on the other side, um, on the sort of the northern side of the highway, uh, we get all their catchments. So. Yeah, and then this creek that runs past here then tees off into the, the big creek where the road was shut yesterday. Yeah. Um, so then that runs past the Wampini homestead, which was getting a little bit too close for comfort to the homestead, to be honest. So, yeah, we, we were sort of hoping that, you know, we, we didn't really need any more overnight, put it that way. Yeah. And when you look at this rain you've had, Sarah, and you mentioned that uh, hopefully a, a decent lambing season coming up, do you sort of consider now adding to the stock you've got? Um, at the moment, we we're actually um, carrying a few more than what than what we would normally, only because the prices um, of old ewes were so low that we thought maybe we could try and keep some on until the prices go up. So, yeah, no, no more stock here. We're we're pretty much uh, full capacity, but it'll just be nice to be able to hang on to those those old ewes for a little bit longer until the price increases, and then and then do something with them. Then, yeah, what sheep numbers have you got there? Uh, I think we're running here about about seven and a half thousand at the moment. That's enough to keep you busy. Oh yeah, yes, <laughs> and I think we've got a little bit of fencing to do. <laughs> and when you get weather like this, and uh, you know roads are cut, creeks are running, uh, you don't mind being what tied to the station for a week or two. Oh no, bring it on! It's about <laughs> the only time. It's about the only time that you sit back and enjoy it. Yesterday we were down at the creek. We've got some friends here at the moment, and. Uh, the kids were, were just sitting in deck chairs, having some beers, just enjoying it, to be honest. We got the kayaks out and we, we took the four-wheeler up one way and then dropped someone off and they'd come down to where we're sitting. So it was, it's just really, it's a really fun time. Yeah, no, it uh, makes it all worthwhile, it does, doesn't it? You get that uh, rain event like you had and out come the deck chairs and you roll the esky out. There's not much more you want, really, is there? No, exactly. You just hope that most people around the district have gotten something. There's nothing worse than missing out, to be honest. It's a horrible feeling. So hopefully yeah. overnight those who sort of had missed out got a little bit. Yeah. And your neighbours around that northeast parcel district, have you heard much from them? Yeah, yeah. No, everyone seems to have got, you know, between 30 to 50 mils. So smiles on everyone's faces, I think. It's fantastic to hear. That was Sarah Parker from Bindara Station, 85 kilometres west of Broken Hill, uh, speaking there with Andrew Schmidt. And uh, just to let you know, the Barrier Highway has reopened at Broken Hill um, following this uh, some flooding from those events. The highway had been closed in both directions between Broken Hill and Coburn on the uh, SA border. Traffic conditions are back to reasonably normal, but some speed restrictions may be in place as well. So do be careful if you are out travelling on that road and any roads that might have been affected by the recent rain. And uh, you can find out more traffic information online as well. And we're going to have more on the rain coming up in the uh, the second half of the program too. We'll head back to far west New South Wales. I had a text come through. We'd love to hear from you as well. 0467 922 
891. That's 0467 991. Adam from Peterborough texts in. He said uh, they had 37 millimetres on the 5th of the 1st and then another 15 mils the next day on the 6th. Uh, that's 10 kilometres south of Peterborough. Thanks for texting through, Adam, and would love to hear from you. Now let's find out if there is any more of this rain coming and what some of those rainfall tallies were. We're joined by Jenny Hulver at the Bureau of Meteorology. Good afternoon, Jenny. Good afternoon, Brooke. It's been very wet. Yeah, it has. We've had a very tropical air mass move over um, SO over the last few days, but it looks like it has now cleared off to the eastern states and we're becoming a little bit more settled here. It has left a little bit of moisture around, so quite a lot of um, low cloud across the southern half of the, the state, which is slowly starting to break up. We are starting to see a little bit of sunshine, but it's probably going to be a pretty cloudy day across the um, southern and western parts today. Couldn't rule out a little bit of light precipitation out of there but nothing too significant. So I've just had a bit of a look back. So I've done some sort of run sort of the last three days of rainfall up till 9am this morning. So just having a bit of a look up around the Flinders there. Carrington picking up around 58 millimetres, around 50 millimetres at Oodenla, Oodenla Wirra Wirra. Um, Yongala around 45, Port Augusta around 34 millimetres. Around the southeast, we also saw some significant falls in the 50s there. Pathway picking up around 54. Lucendale just under 47 through there. Mount Gambier Airport around 40 millimetres as well. Elsewhere around the state, the mid north picking up falls up to around sort of 24 um, millimetres around there. Um, Yunta picking up in the northeast pastoral district there around 45 millimetres. Um, out on the west coast we saw Lock pick up around 35 um, and down at Victor Harbour over the weekend picking up around 40 millimetres. Remark also picking up around 30. So it was pretty widespread. It was a little bit hit and miss but we do get that with the nature of the thunderstorms as things grew through and maybe some of that rainfall fell a little bit quickly in a short sensation of time but things are definitely settling for the, um, for most of this week. There is a little bit more tropical moisture to come. Um, unfortunately, we're not done with it. But yeah, having a bit of a look around for today, pretty stable. We've got that high pressure system now building to our south, maintaining that milder south-southeasterly airstream over the state today. We'll see that cloud around again, probably across the southern and western parts first thing on the Tuesday. So again, couldn't rule out a little bit of light shower activity mostly around um, our coastal fringe um, and mostly in the morning and then things starting to dry up and maybe a little bit more sunshine coming back to some of the southern parts. Um, Maximum temperatures still remaining below average on the Tuesday there with that sort of south-southeasterly airstream. As we head on into Wednesday, look, there is a little bit of a, a cold front that will clip the southeast of the state. Not expecting anything too significant with that one, but couldn't rule out a little bit of light shower activity again across our southeastern districts through there. And then as we head on into Thursday, maybe starting to see a little bit of some moisture coming back from the tropics, but just for the very far northeast of the state on the Thursday. More broadly, across the northeast pastoral district on Friday, as things start to get a bit of a move on back from the from the east and then as we head into the weekend there we are looking at a little bit of uncertainty with that tropical moisture more broadly across um, the state across the north and maybe pushing into the west coast district as well so it's going to be a little bit of a watch this space for the weekend and early next week to see how that moisture evolves from the tropics again so a bit of humid 
conditions coming back to um, northern and possibly western parts on the weekend. Um, but having a bit of a look at where we're sitting with our cumulative rainfall totals up until the end of Friday. So not too much for the next couple of days and mostly on the co- coastal fringe there. So generally just less than sort of a millimetre or so there. And then as we head into Thursday, Friday, maybe starting to see some falls of up to around 2 to 10 millimetres about the northeast, and maybe some isolated falls of maybe around 10 to 20 millimetres with some thunderstorm activity but that would be probably around the very far northeast of the state there, Brooke. Thanks very much, Jenny. Have a good afternoon. You too. Thank you. Jenny Horvat at the Bureau of Meteorology. Let's go have a look at the Western Newlands for tomorrow. For the Upper Western, mostly sunny, a medium chance of showers in the northeast and a near zero chance elsewhere. Chance of a thunderstorm, wind southeast to southwesterly, 15 to 20 kilometres per hour, becoming light early in the morning. Then becoming southeast to southwesterly, 15 to 20 kilometres in the morning. Overnight temperatures falling to the low 20s with daytime temperatures reaching the low to mid 30s. For the lower western, mostly sunny, slight chance of a shower in the far east, near zero chance elsewhere. Chance of a thunderstorm in the far east, wind south to southwesterly, 15 to 20 kilometres per hour, becoming light in the evening. Overnight temperatures falling to between 16 and 20 with daytime temperatures reaching the low 30s. Plenty more still to come on the Country Hour. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Brooke Nindorf. Brooke Nindorf. Hello, thanks very much for your company. Coming up over the next half an hour or so, it's that time of year where MLA's ad for lamb comes out and this year... Having a bit of a funny crack at all the different generations. I think it's brilliant. It takes a, a, an equal stab at all generations, and the underlying message is that, you know, unity, bringing people together, and that lamb's a good, a good catalyst to do that, to bring people together, put aside <laughs> your differences. We'll hear more about the new lamb ad very shortly, but have you seen it? What do you think? Do these ads make you buy more lamb? You can send me a text on 0467 922 Would love to hear your thoughts. Before that, let's get the latest from the newsroom. We're joined by Matt Coleman. Good afternoon, Matt. Hello, Brooke. In the news this afternoon, the Premier says more will be done to address the state's ambulance ramping crisis. A 54-year-old man died after waiting more than 10 hours for an ambulance in Adelaide's East last month. Eddie made a triple zero call for abdominal pain and vomiting, which was initially triaged as an urgent priority five. Police were investigating a stabbing on Air Peninsula last night. Emergency services were called to a motel on Mackenzie Street in Sejuna with reports of a stabbing at a quarter to nine. The victim, a 26-year-old Hindmarsh man, was found with a stab wound to his chest and was flown to the Royal Adelaide Hospital in a serious but stable condition. And the state government has released designs for the expansion of the Modbury Hospital in Adelaide's northeast. The $117 million investment will include a 44-bed mental health precinct, a new cancer centre and a new five-storey car park. The hospital is due for completion in December 2025. More news at one o'clock. Thanks very much, Matt. Matt Coleman in the newsroom. 
Now, as we've been hearing over the last three days, summer storms have hit parts of South Australia and far west New South Wales. And I want to hear from you. What have you been getting? What did you get over the weekend? 0467 922 You can send me a text. And let's go back to far west New South Wales now and what's been described as some of the best rains in two years. The downpour topped up tanks, dams and the spirits of those on the land. South Ida Station is 120 kilometres south of Broken Hill and grazier Suzanne Withers says there's a lot of water about and that there might be even more on the way. We've had 88.6 mil of rain in the last couple of days, still looking overcast as if it might go again. You never know. What did it look like when that rain came in? Um, it was fairly heavy and the first, the first 60 mil or whatever was overnight, so we didn't actually notice that till we got up and saw the water lying around and things. But um, the rain yesterday, where we ended up with 27.5 mil, that actually pelted down and it was heavy enough that the gutters were overflowing and there's water running everywhere and um, rivulets of water running where normally there's no water and we've got enough water now that um, the swamp around our house dam, because it's the lowest part of the property, that actually dried up. Well, now it's got water back in the swamp. How long since that swamp been full? Um, well, it had only just, I suppose it was the last rain last year that it sort of got a bit of water in it and it's taken a couple of years to sort of empty out and it got to the stage where we were just got to the back to getting back to the dam but now there's water around it so we can't get back to there unless you walk through water or boat or unfortunately for us our windmills out on the dam you have to boat out there to um, turn the windmill on to get water at the house so it gets a bit of an interesting little situation. How significant is it to to have these rains especially when we're in January? Um, Very good actually because a few years ago when you're in drought and it's as dry as anything, um, you don't get any feed and you don't, and then you get a lot of red dust blowing around and we get dust storms and things, whereas um, we've still got a bit of, um, I suppose, grass on the ground, spear grass and stuff growing and that will keep that nice and green. It also means there's less chance, hopefully, of any fires. A few weeks ago we had a fire that was next door, so they've been around if you get a dry thunderstorm, at least with this wet thunderstorm and rain we don't have um, fires lately so and the stock are pretty happy with all this rain yes they are yeah well what we can see we haven't been traveled around very far if you left the house very far you get bogged so don't go very far at the moment when are you expecting to be able to get out and to have a look around your property a um, few days at least i'd say till it dries out so it might have to be the boat <laughs> <laughs> well the boat's to, to get to the, uh, the swamp but not around the rest of the house, the place you've got to drive, but because it's, it's red red dirt and things, eventually it dries out so you can get around again. So, Did your sort of neighbours get a similar amount to you or was it quite different? They, I'm not sure. Some of them didn't get quite as much and some got, um, like Middle Camp, got more than us, I can gather, and so it depends. We all sort of play catch-up. Sometimes we're ahead, sometimes they're ahead. Jai Baker from Paxaddle Roadhouse also experienced the heavy rains, which added a nice top-up to his lawns and the nearby creek. Pretty wet. It looks pretty good, to be honest with you. Everything's sort of coming through pretty green. My grass is pretty green. Yeah, you're not having to do so much watering? (laughs) Yeah, I haven't had to water. I won't have to water anything today. So how much rain have you had overall? Uh, We had about 30 mil here. The creek, how's that looking just below the roadhouse? She, She was flowing pretty hard yesterday yesterday afternoon um even even last night it was flowing flowing quite a bit but i haven't been down there yet yet today to to have a look at what it's like now 
And when that rain came through yesterday, what was that like up at Pack Saddle? It, it was good. We sat out the front, watched it all sort of come on through, watched the storms. It started sort of up here. It started Saturday night. We um, had the first bit of rain that come in pretty hard. And then uh, yesterday, it just was raining most of the day. And yeah, we sat out, had a few beers, watched it all roll through. Did you have many people? There's a whole lot of nobody about. There was, I think, we had a couple of pig shooters through uh, early on in the morning. They were coming from one tree trying to get into town. Yeah, they stopped in and got some diesel, but that was about, about all we saw yesterday. The roads at the moment, how are they looking and do you think you'll you'll expect some travellers through in the coming days? I think uh, it all, all depends on how quickly they can clear out all this silt that, that comes up from the creeks. I think maybe this afternoon we might see some some brave people and then over the next few days we'll probably start seeing a few more. And you didn't get any rain in, in the pub? No, not this time about. Didn't we uh after after the last swimming pool incident we, we made a few changes to get that that sorted so we we didn't have to worry about that too much. That was Jai Baker from Paxetta Roadhouse speaking to Lily McCure. And there's plenty of great photos online as well. You can head to the ABC Broken Hill Facebook page. And also there'll be an online story with some of those pictures as well. Go to abc.net.au. Brooke Neindorf with you. It's 23 minutes to one. ABC Listen. Listen big to a symphony of podcasts on the ABC Listen app. How does that feel? Like the true crime mystery, Unravel Firebomb. How did they get away with it for so long? Sana Kadar's All in the Mind. As you scale this technique up, you can memorise all kinds of things. Or Mark Fennell's Stuff the British Stole. This should not be here. How did that happen? The big app for podcasts and quality audiobooks anywhere you want. Download the free ABC Listen app. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Now, a year since floodwaters peaked, communities along South Australia's River Murray are still rebuilding. But for farmers whose land was inundated, the recovery has prompted them to reflect on the future of their operations. Eliza Berlage has this story. Come on! At Long Flat, Alexandra Westlake has been able to keep her livestock business moving despite being flooded twice. Her property was underwater for months after a state-owned levy was overtopped in January. And in September, it happened again. Yeah, at the moment we're just about to wean um, this year's drop uh, land. So we're really happy. Despite the flood, uh, we still achieved a really good um, marking percentage. So, yeah, we're really happy with what we're doing here. They look very happy and healthy. Yeah, they are. And that's the thing, like, we didn't know what to expect with a flood in the middle of it all. We had to obviously send all the sheep out on adjustment due to the flood and we just didn't know how they were going to perform. But, um, yeah, it's just proven that with good genetics and with that good backing that they had when we sent them away, yeah, we've, we've got through this time and, yeah, we're able to carry on what we're doing. Do you think they remember the flood? Well, they might remember on the 7th of September, the second one, when they were giving birth. This was actually the mob that got caught in the flood waters um, and we had to get them out. So, yeah, these, these lambs know what water is, that's for sure. <laughs> we're here... Um, almost a year after one of the biggest floods in a long time that came mm. through. Uh, this landscape, you know, can come alive from flooding, but it also, you know, brings a lot of challenges. Mm. Um, you know, are you able to recall what that, that time was like about mm. a year ago when mm. that flood came through? Yeah. I must say, looking back 
from a year a, a, a lot of anxiety and yeah a lot of nervous energy is about uh, at that time when we found out that we potentially would be flooded um, we sort of didn't believe it at first um, just thinking that this sort of doesn't happen to you but when we received the um, notification from SA Power Networks that our power would be cut off, we sort of thought, oh, hang on, this actually is potentially a real deal for us. Uh, so we went about uh, preparing, uh, not knowing what you have to do to prepare for a massive flood and just putting all our, our, our things in line. So uh, as you can imagine, leading into Christmas and New Year and all that what happens at that time of year it was an extremely anxious time for us and uh, we still are living out the remnants of that anxiety now yeah and I, I understand it's a a long process of recovery mm. rehabilitation land management after a flood you know what sort of things have you had to be doing in the last year well obviously we had to prepare for the flood that means just you know, managing our business in terms of our livestock and our pasture and, and thinking how are we going to get through this? What are we going to do to keep our livestock safe? Uh, we also had to consider how we were going to hold back the water if we could. Mm -hmm. So we had to work really hard to fight for that. And that was a challenge for us because we were in relationship with the government in terms of how we were going to manage the water. So we had a big big task on our hand there. Then after that, uh, unfortunately, on the 7th of January, our, our levy bank did breach and just the initial shock of water just pouring over your land. It was beautiful to see, but the disbelief was real that uh, what we had been preparing for for at least a month and a half was actually coming true. And, you know, it was a sad day. Um, we felt a really extreme sense of loneliness on that day. We felt extremely isolated and, yeah, you, you, just the unknown was, was mammoth. Thankfully, all our livestock was safe and we had prepared really well for that, but we weren't prepared for the loneliness and the isolation that was to follow. For months and months, our, our farm was completely underwater. We're talking three to four metres of water for months. And uh, as the days go by, you just wonder, where, where's your future? And the flooding in January wasn't the only high water or water issues that you had this year, I understand, in mm. September as well, mm. um, you had to deal with some other challenges? Yeah, so obviously our first flood was in January and that obviously was a massive situation. We had finished dewatering um, under the dewatering project around uh, May and June and we had the uh, opportunity to get out onto our paddocks really quick and reseed and, and uh, in hope for grass for spring and we'd even brought all our sheep back from adjustment because we had the opportunity to house them again. And in September, unfortunately, uh, we had a situation where our, we had a high river and high winds and a ill-fixed uh, levee bank, and we had an overtopping again whereby our, our farm was flooded again. But this time we weren't prepared because we had all of our sheep and cattle on the swamps our sheep were lambing at the time and I must say it was the most devastating time when I'm trying to push mothering ewes through water and we had, we had sheep losses that day and I didn't have one sheep loss for the first flood because we were prepared. So unfortunately we were in a situation where it was out of our control. Uh, as I said, the, the levee bank was ill-fixed 
and as a result, we paid the price. That sounds like so much work and, and really frustrating. Mm. So what, what, what has been the government um, support like or other mm. support like? Well, we have received government support and we won't shy from that, that we have been able to access government funding and grant funding to essentially get through this time of, of recovery. But when it comes to the support and understanding and relationship that we need from the government in regards to moving forward in, in terms of how, this, how to manage this land properly, that hasn't been adequate enough. And that's where we sense a lot of isolation and confusion and and anger because a lot of things have come to head and yet the relationship hasn't blossomed with it. So what more do you need? Mm. Well, we need funding. We need the government to understand just how much this region is of value to them. We're in partnership here with the government when it comes to the levy bank and and how we farm uh, behind the levy bank. And so the partnership needs to be understood first and foremost and second, we need the funding to come through to say, well, we value these levy banks because we value the environment and we value what happens behind the levy banks and the people that manage the land on their behalf. And you've talked about, yes, yeah, some of the difficulties of the floods of the last year or so mm. and obviously, you know, that boom and bust cycle mm. is, um, you know, the flood and drying cycle is such a part of life here yes. at Long Flat. You know, they obviously also bring benefits that you're able to work with. You know, what sort of transformation and benefits have you seen from the flood here and oh. you know why do you why do you love farming here on a flood plain? well this is a good news story as well and we definitely want to make sure that we share that good news story unfortunately it comes at a cost because we've had a year of pain and suffering and hard lots, lots of hard decision making along the way but the benefit of having water come over onto this floodplain is, is amazing. We um, have had the benefit of all that nutrition and, uh, you know, just water going over land. As a result, our grass is thriving, our animals are thriving. We've had three cuts of hay so far this year and we could, you know, we can go again. The life of birds... And um, as I say, the environment is just alive. And so we, we, we give thanks in that regard that we were flooded. Um, it's just that moving forward and understanding that, you know, we need to properly manage this land into the future. The state opposition says the second flood could have been avoided if the government had listened to landholders' concerns about levies. Well, the issue for the farmers is the recovery has essentially stopped. Uh, they're not hearing the long-term plans that the government need to do to upgrade the 110 kilometres of levies to get them in a state uh, so that they can protect these swamplands into the future. Um, it's quite disappointing because during the emergency process we managed to get things done uh, essentially in real time and now it seems to be bogged down in government bureaucracy and, and uh, red tape and the farmers just want to get on with life. They want to know where they stand uh, they want to have their levy banks fixed to the appropriate standard so that they can sow pastures confidently and they can just get on, on with life, uh, farming, milking cows, running stock and uh, essentially getting on with it. My understanding is the government have two reports on what they need to do and they need to get those reports out in the public, tell us how much needs to be spent and just get on with the job. 
State Member for Hammond, Adrian Pederick, ending that story from Eliza Burlarge. And State Minister for Primary Industries, Claire Scriven, said in a statement her department is continuing to work with all stakeholders to help farmers recover from the floods with progress made on replanting pastures and returning livestock to the land. And there's more on that story online at abc.net.au slash rural. Now, this year's satirical Australian lamb ad was released overnight, and it's all about the generational gap. Produced by industry marketing bodies Australian Lamb and Meat and Livestock Australia, the annual advertisement aims to boost lamb sales during the summer period. No matter what generation you come from, baby boomer, Gen X, millennial or Gen Z, everyone is made fun of. Annie Brown reports. Good morning, Boomertown. It's a beautiful day to be 60 to 78 years young. With a new year brings a new ad from Australian Lamb and Meat and Livestock Australia. Known for its satire, this year the ad is targeting the different generations across Australia. Slay. I just feel like no one pays attention to Gen X. We've got so much to... I don't care what they do, just not in my backyard. Hey, hey, my backyard! This is their fault. Don't look at us. We're literally perfect. Typical young people. Everyone gets a trophy. We were kids. You bought us the trophy. Stop gaslighting us. That's not what that means. Cancel. Cancel. Is that lamb? Lamb. You know, when I was a kid, we'd have lamb egg. Lamb barbecue? lit. <laughs> well, at least we can agree on something. The generation gap, it's closing. Domestic market manager at MLA, Graham Yardy, says the generations have more in common than what we all think. I guess looking at some of the conversations through the year, we, we really saw this narrative around, uh, in the media, around the, the differences between the generations and um, and so this was the idea behind it, the generation gap, that there is this uh, this gap widening between all the generations. And But when we sort of go a little bit deeper, what we really understand is that actually we're, there's a lot more similarities between us. And that's a really, you know, important observation that, you know, um, that lamb can play to. It's the it's the great protein that brings everybody together. So um, you know what better what better thing this year to do than bring the generations together over uh, a lamb barbecue. The ads every year is always a good amount of satire in them as well. We can all have a good laugh at ourselves. Generally, though, what are the aim of these ads though that you bring out every year? The aim is actually to. Uh, ensure we, we we sell more lamb for for producers that's our that's the number one goal so we we take that very seriously and and track that right through the campaign and what we see from this campaign is you know and normally we see a you know in the last well in the last few years we've seen an, an uptick in in volume usually between 15 to 20 percent um on a on a regular week uh through the campaign period so we definitely want to see that, um, you know, on the, and we've worked out this really great model. We're providing the, uh, you know, a really entertaining ad, getting people to watch it. And then, uh, you know, working, um, you know, with all the, the customers of red meat um, to make sure there's things like, you know, red meat on menu and it's in store and it's available. How much does this campaign cost to run? Uh, well, you know, what I can say is this is the, this is the number one activity for lamb 
um, this year. You know, it's not small change, but as I said, it sort of pays itself uh, off in the in the first, usually in about the first two weeks of the of the campaign. So we're talking millions of dollars. It it, it is in that realm, yes. <laughs> okay, I guess in terms of in terms of an ad, in terms of lamb. Um, and consume consumption of lamb at the moment. You said you've seen an uh, you usually see an uptick in consumption from this, but generally overall, what kind of data do you have around Australian lamb consumption at the moment? Like from the last year, are we uh, tracking upwards, downwards? What's the yeah. general feeling towards lamb? Yeah, so um, over the last year, we've seen a twenty two percent increase in the consumption of of lamb, uh, volume of lamb. So, you know, what we've seen is obviously prices come back quite considerably over the uh, over the last twelve months, which has actually helped. You know, there's been a steady increase, um, really, for you know quite a long time since sort of twenty fourteen on on lamb prices in the market. But as there's been more supply coming through, you know, we've seen that price come down. So much more accessible for consumers. And that's been more availability. So that's good news for consumers. And obviously, you know, they're, they're talking with their wallets and in a, in, in a environment where the cost of living is going up, that's sort of bucking the trend. So I think we're seeing consumers really appreciate that. But what do farmers think? Well, Neil Stringer from Forge Creek Lamb produces grass-fed lamb in East Gippsland, and he loves the ad. I think it's brilliant. It takes a, an equal stab at all generations and the underlying message is that, you know, unity, bringing people together and that lamb's a good, a good catalyst to do that, to bring people together, put aside <laughs> your differences. We're not always going to agree on everything, so religion and politics are a good example. Share the lamb, share the love. And lamb is the thing that brings us all together in the end, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what the ad's saying. I'm not necessarily sure that in reality it does it, but it's a, if, if it sells lamb, it's a good uh, good line. What do you think of these lamb ads that they bring out every year in general? Do you think they, they help the industry sell more lamb or get the message out there? Absolutely, yep. Yeah, whoever the marketing uh, guru is, they, they do it well, and um, I tend to look for it. Um, each year to see what the, the latest ad is. So, In terms of lamb production, um, you know, it's the start of the new year. How are things going at the moment for you? Yeah, pretty good. Like I said, we sell our, all our own lamb through our own label and, yeah, I just managed to keep the supply up to my demand. Um, shanks are a bit hard to sell this time of year, but they will they will move. As a small smaller producer, I'm sure that uh, big wholesalers have got ways to manage that. But yeah, for us, supply, supply and demand are good. That was Neil Stringer, land producer from East Gippsland, speaking to Annie Brown. And if you want to have a look at the ad, you can search it up on YouTube. Brooke Nindorf with you. It's five minutes to one. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Finally today, a company on the New South Wales-Victorian border has recently been fined more than half a million dollars for illegally stockpiling thousands of waste tyres. Piles of, piles of old tyres are a known fire hazard and can create toxic smoke when alight. And the problem is getting worse. Recent data is showing more tyres are ending up dumped or in stockpiles. Annie Brown reports. In New South Wales Land and Environment Court, an Albury business was fined more than half a million dollars for illegally stockpiling more than 28,000 waste tyres. Court documents revealed that during the year 2021, the business was paid more than $300,000 to receive over 22,000 four-wheel drive tyres, over 45,000 car tyres and over 12,000 truck tyres. 
The EPA has said the company not only failed to comply with the clean-up notice, but also received a further 5,000 tyres after the notice was served. But looking further afield at the issue of what to do with tyres at the end of their life, Executive Director of Tyre Stewardship Australia, Lena Goodman, says the stockpile is getting bigger. In Australia, we aren't really custodians of our own waste. Uh, The tyres that are collected in that passenger truck and bus segment are largely exported to Southeast Asia and the like, and the material is used as a fuel replacement uh, for cement kilns. But what we've seen most recently, particularly in the last two years, that the recovery of passenger truck and bus, which used to be up around the 90%, has dropped down to, call it 80%, it's just slightly shy of that 77%. So in the last 12 months, we've actually dropped 10% in the recovery of tyres, which means more end-of-life tyres are going to landfill, they're going to stockpiles, or they're going to illegally dumped locations. What we're seeing is tyres becoming problematic in our communities. And as you would have seen, if they're left on the side of the road, they usually multiply. More people rock up and put more on there. If they're in stockpiles, they problematic from a fire perspective. Let you have a look at the stockpile that happened in Wyala in South Australia that caught on fire. These are real public health problems. And I think that if we think we've done a good job on collecting tyres... Uh, we need to think again because we actually haven't done a great job at it. So what's driving that decrease in recovered tyres? We're seeing a lot more uh, material go to landfill, uh, whether they can't find a home for it overseas or it's just cheaper to send to landfill. But what really worries me is the increased number of rogue operators that are out there collecting tyres from tyre retailers, mechanic shops, mum and dad locations that are in the business of tyre replacement, collecting tyres and not actually sustainably managing those tyres. So rogue operators will go around, they'll collect for $3, $3.50 a tyre, and then they'll either dump them on the side of the road, they'll dump them in creek beds, they'll create stockpiles, or unsuspecting landlords get dumped with tyres in their factories and those Uh, rogue operators walk away, reinvent themselves as another organisation. And we're seeing a lot more of that, and that's problematic. Uh, The increase in landfill is really problematic too. Um, We really need to focus in Australia to utilise tyre-derived material in ways in which we know we can, whether it's in roads, in advanced manufacturing. And even Australia has uh, the ability to use tyres as a fuel uh, replacement to coal like they do in Southeast Asia. So there are opportunities for us at least to think about utilising time in Australia before we export this material. Lena Goodman, Chief Executive of Tyre Stewardship Australia, speaking to Annie Brown. That's all we've got time for on the program for today. We were looking at the uh, the new lamb ad, which has just been released overnight uh, that's encouraging people to buy more lamb. Ryan from Gulfview Heights sent a text in and said, would be all right if lamb was affordable? Then there's probably no need for an expensive ad to make people buy expensive lamb. Thanks very much for your text, Ryan. As I said, that's all we've got time for, but there's plenty more online at abc.net.au slash rural, and you can go back to and listen to this program, plus plenty more on the ABC Listen app. Thanks very much for your company. I'll be back with you at the same time tomorrow. It's coming up to news time. It's one o'clock.
stay connected with your ABC. Find news online at abc.net.au. Select your postcode to see local stories, news and weather.